in the uh, building relationships entering their world um, trip in the book really covers some important territory. So I could only get to part of it, so I'm just going to do the next part. Next week will be part two. We don't usually do that. We do it a chapter at a time, but this is built on relationships, and I think it's things that we really need to to hear. So um, if, you, if you read your book, is anybody following along in the book? Uh, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus, but it is a really, really fine book. And um, once you... It would probably be one of the, the most profound counseling books, practical theology books you'll ever see. You understand the whole implication of how relationships and theology and everything always mix together and work together in biblical truth. So um, he talks about this, and he gave um, a couple examples. But I thought I would start with First Peter, the third chapter, if you could um, gander there with me. Peter's in the P's in the back, in case you don't know that. Rick, it's on page 843. <laughs> Amen. And so around verse 13, it says, uh, and, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, Sake, righteousness sake, you are blessed. That's First Peter, third chapter, verse 13 and 14. You are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Remember, this is a very difficult time for them, um, and yet he's communicating something important. But sanctify, make holy the Lord God in your hearts, verse 15. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And this is what's interesting for us. It says, with meekness and fear. I mean, um, I think this is what's the idea is that, can you imagine he's saying, if this information, if the hope was going to be transformative um, by itself, just in itself, you would just learn to communicate. Just say it. Say it accurately. Say it, you know, specifically. But he says, do it with meekness and hope. Now, there's a relational connection. I think the bridge between the, the strong Bible that will not return void Bible promises, the message of the good news of Christ, has to be coupled in, the, in the, that sort of fluid or subjective part of what, where they're at in the relationship. I think he's saying he's connecting the relationship with the hope that we have in us. And I think Tripp is doing a pretty good job on this. He, he still uses certain terms I'm just not comfortable with. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. I understand the incarnate work. I'm just not used to using those terminologies. He uses the word ambassador quite often and appropriately. But remember he started, if you remember, he started in the very beginning with talking about uh, this seminary student that he was in contact with and and the pastor at the seminary was frustrated because you know he's like just tell us what to do to get by these things he kind of made projects in fact he says on bottom of 15 he says in hesitating embarrassment he mumbled projects as the other seminarians snickered in their seats and he's sort of trying to drive home a point that i wanted to make today and hopefully get your some of your 
uh, feedback. I, I put it this way. Relationships are more than just projects. More than just projects. I mean, they're going to be valued. Um, you know, I don't know if you've been parenting that way back in the day before Christ. That's what I did parenting. I wanted to solve a problem. If you're annoying, then I stop that annoyance. If you're problematic, then I stop the problem. You know, I mean, if you had... If you need to be happy, I know a couple of things I can do to make you happy, a couple of things. To, you know, I mean, you just sort of treated the world as a project, really, not seeing what Jeff was talking about, that the relationships really are the project. I mean, that's the idea. But relationship really more than just projects, he says here. And um, there's two realities I notice in the book. And I do this is from page 115 to 117, basically. And we're just summarizing some of these things as we have time. But... The one reality, and, and as we approach some of these things, I want you to try to, let me, let me just set the context here real quick. Now, we read First Peter, but, and we're talking about the relationships, and I just wrote this down, my thought on this as we transition, and maybe you'll see this. Uh, one of the most neglected part of evangelism, I call it classic evangelism uh, and discipleship, is the relationship factor. I don't know if you guys know where I'm talking about, but after you've been sharing the gospel for a number of years I have and did it wrong for so many years and probably have a number of false converts along the way, tons of them probably, to be honest with you. You, you, get, you begin to see the importance of the relationship. The, the spouse is working together. The, that relationship is the project. You know, that's what we're working on. Uh, but evangelism, just evangelism, just using as an example, uh, because I've violated so many times, it, it becomes more than just speaking the truth. Um, it's one of the most neglected parts in this evangelism. See, most passionate evangelists, um, they have the evangelistic process flipped over. It's 180 degrees out of, out of whack. Uh, they perfect a pr- presentation and memorize the gospel passages. I remember when I pastored in Seattle, had um, 14 three-person evangelistic teams going out every Tuesday. And our auto care ministry, we're fixing cars for single moms and widows, would feed them all these these names and addresses. Then they would go out and give them a gift from the church and then try to try to build relationships. But the, they were trained to memorize the gospel with EE. They were trained to get a to, to get a, a place for a presentation and they were trained to pull the net immediately. It was really a beautiful system, but it was so um, out of whack because it produced a lot of false converts that didn't get this point. They perfected a presentation and memorized the gospel, but they tend to put the gospel above the presenting relationship. Now, let me explain this. Um, I'm not saying the gospel is less than the relationship. The gospel is above all just about everything, I mean, all the power, spiritual power on earth. We understand that. But the relationships are very important to God. They're, they're really up there. I'm saying the gospel presentation that I would perfect in my own life, memorizing the saying, teaching it and training it over and over again as an EE trainer, and then using it in counseling like that just to get a statement of faith. Here's what happened. And that, that idea, my motives were pretty pure. I wanted people to know Christ, but... Um, I treated the gospel presentation like it was a magic trick. That if I just would 
force my way on somebody and give them the gospel, no matter what they thought or said or how they responded, that would somehow just shake them and then they would just jump into this mesmerizing thing and just, and the gospel would overtake them and make them a new creature. I'm just telling you that uh, that's not the way it is. It doesn't produce the spiritual fruit you think it does because it's wrong. It rarely really considers if a person is first open to spiritual things. Are they open to spiritual things? If not, I still build relationships. I talk to them, and then I give them something to think about in that process. You know, my life was messed up until I until I followed Christ and I learned the truth about Christ. Um, and, and then I sometimes I let it go, and then they'll come back to me and ask me, well, what, did, what was that that you did? I did this with cops all the time. I, as a chaplain later on, after getting out of the police department, I would ride with them, and I would just lay groundwork with them. Stuff like, well, I used to do that, and I used to think that way, but it's really helped me to start thinking a different way in my, in my new life. Well, what are you talking about in your new life? Later on. And we're building open relationships to this. And I think this is what he's really talking about, these two realities. So in that context, take a look at these two realities that we need to understand as we're building relationships. Now, this is how you get along in your marriage. This is how you parent the best way you can parent. This is how you get along with church people uh, that seem to be more problematic sometimes than the people in the world. I can go to people in the world, and I can sort of understand them. But over here, I don't understand them, and it's because of these two basic realities. Here's the first one. The church is full of people who have lost their way and don't know it, who haven't made the connection between their daily problems and the transforming grace of God. He says this in the book. That's a quote. So one of them is that we're church people are full of people who lost their way. When they say lost their way, not some lose their salvation. They lost their way, their bearings their spiritual understanding, the focus of their relationships. They, they forgot that. And the connection between the transforming grace of God. Give me an example of something that might, if you're thinking this way, give me an example of how this might be true. Legalism. I'm sorry? Legalism. Legalism. Good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Legalism is that external religiosity that we want people to do what you do, present your religion, do what you're supposed to do, maybe even some of my own rules. And I impose my own extra biblical rules on people, not even considering the relationship, not even connecting the dots of grace. Anything else? Legalism begins with the means to the end, just holiness and godliness, but in time it becomes, it becomes the end itself. Yeah. And that's where, the, after a while, you, you, the pursuit of, of holiness through standard and through convictions is, is a good thing, but then that becomes the So 
So basically, they understood all. So basically, the re- you were just using yeah. that relationship as a means to an end, yeah. as opposed to you weren't loving them for the sake of loving them. You were actually trying to gain access to God. Yep. When they said no to the gospel, at that point, you turned and moved on to somebody else. That's yeah. very. That's, that's I'll share the flip side, the blessing of this couple. I mean, of this lady that I mentioned, um, Dylan, which is the mother of Claire. I was in having. She's coming to all my ladies' meetings, and I just enjoy talking. I really just enjoy talking to her before she was saved. At one point, because she was going through various troubles in her life, she wasn't married, she was sleeping around, and I was telling her things. She's like, well, you have to like me because that's, that's your job. I said, I like you because I like you. <laughs> but it was a lot of investment. And praise God on the other end, she did receive the Lord, but she, you know, she wondered at some point, you, 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 you have to. That's your position. You know, you're in yeah. a church, so. Yeah, so yeah. It is that's excellent. Those are good points because... It's being involved in the relationship, and then God along the journey, if he chooses, will open their hearts and their minds. He'll draw them to himself. He'll save them. Mm-hmm. And, but we're just making a lifelong investment with people, uh, letting God do all the work, basically. So sometimes our investments are the work. We think, well, we're doing this work. I want the payoff. I do A, B, and then God will do C automatically. And so that's, that's, a, good, that's a very good one. Uh, my father-in-law was the same way. He was a Christian scientist, Christian science follower, not scientist. <laughs> I knew there was a difference, but anyway, so he um, and he would always say, "Mark, that's a nice story, but I, that's not for me." So okay, so I just, I mean, just lived for Christ the best I could in front of him, and spent a lot of time with him, and I ended up having more time with my father-in-law than I knew my dad was killed when I was 17. So I didn't, I mean, I known him for years. I didn't say anything, just lived in front of him, loved him. And on his deathbed, he called and told Cindy while she was in the room and said, I want to speak to Mark. And he was 84 pounds, six foot four. He was dying of cancer. He was in pitiful shape. They, he was barely breathing. They were putting sponges of water in his mouth. And he just said, I want to see Mark. And so when I came in, I said, what do you, what do you want, Dad? He goes, tell me about Jesus. Tell me about Jesus. And I gave him the gospel again. Only this time I called him to repentance over his Christian science. I said, you know, you can't have Christian science and Jesus. And, uh, yeah, and he, he's, yeah, I know. I said, okay, you have to abandon all that. You know, I know you have time to go do the good things that you want to do for God, but you could repent and turn to him. And he, he said, okay, and he had just one. A single tear came out of his eye. That was sort of a picture for us of maybe repentance and his, his um, sorrow for that. And he died a few hours later. But that's what I'm saying. If I would have just said, I'm going to write him off, that's what this person did, wrote him off because they didn't fit his agenda. Uh, and that's what we're talking about, these agendas. Yeah. The second part of the second thing it says, uh, it describes these people who've lost their way as those who haven't made a connection between their daily problems and transforming grace to God. We don't really have time for it on the screen, but if he's... Uh, does that mean that people haven't seen that God's trying to get their attention to the conflicts in their lives? Part of it. Part of it. Or part of it, they don't see that the journey of life that has these ebbs and flows, ups and downs. They don't see the journey of life that sanctification brings in some of those challenging things in life. So you don't see the journey as the valuable part. They just see the good part, the end result. They want the good end result. The journey of suffering is part of that sanctification. So... They don't, they don't connect the dots because they don't see the Bible in the context that, that it was written. 
And so when I'm talking about that, we're talking about a lot of people in the church suffer. I mean suffer a long time privately, internally, over their own sin, over, over not having what they want, and not getting what they thought were going to get out of life, and they just haven't connected dots. They don't understand the transforming grace of God. Good point. Here's another one. The church is not a theological classroom, as Pastor just reminded us. It's conversation, confession, repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, sanctification, center. All this is happening in the center of this gathering of God's people. Where flawed people place their trust in Christ, gathered to know and love him better, and learn to love others as he has designed. It's interesting because, think about this. If we go to church thinking that, you know, this is a place where the good people go, uh, you tend to be a little more disappointed, don't you? You give up a little bit. I don't know how the pastor uh, or pastors do this on a regular basis other than they're thinking on, on terms of their own journey uh, and they're thinking in terms of the work of helping people see Christ and his grace appropriately. You know, see the biblical uh, mandate of, of loving one another and all the one another's. But these are the two realities that we face in the church that sometimes we... Uh, really don't look at it. He quotes Romans 8. He quotes Romans 8 in the book, and he's talking about uh, love. And I think I think Jeff found it. He talked about that a little bit. So here are our tensions. I want to get to some of these tensions. Here's some of the tensions of our expectations. This is what causes our problems. So we're trying to use the gospel as a, as a magic trick. I just need to tell you the magic trick, and, it, and it'll do magic. God promises won't return void. Without the relationship, without them knowing, even though they're dead in their trespasses. So where's the tension come from? Here's the first one. We expect others to function as if they were not subject to the great fall in Genesis 3. No fall for others. We, we, we're just imperfect. We're just human. We're sinners. We can't help what we do. I know I hurt you, but I'm, I'm, what about the fall? But when we walk into a relationship, especially spouse relationships and children, we forget that they're fallen people. I like the way my older son parents, after I have been critical for years of his parenting, that he recognizes that the kids are still in growth and they're still in their transition process. They're still, they're still um, sinners. And he still doesn't overreact to their sin. He doesn't overreact to their sin. If they would run their bike into my truck and dent my new truck, they may walk with a limp for a while. <laughs> or I put a choker sleep on them and let them sleep it off for a little bit. You know, but I'll do something. But anyway, but it was like that was the old days and the new mark I'm supposed to be thinking differently. So there's a tension there that we have an expectation that other people don't live under that fall, they're, they're still they're supposed to do better than what the fall says, and that's, that's attention and expectation. Uh, here's the second one: we expect sound theology in a great church. I, I added that. Pastor just used the uh, sound theology. We added sound theology in a great church to be the people transforming power relationships. That only love can do that work. Now listen, here's the thing: I think if I can just get them at church, they're going to be fine. Here's another one: if I can just get them in a Christian school, they'll be fine. If I can just get them around my youth pastor, they'll be fine. It's an osmosis principle, and it doesn't work. That's not where it's at, where they're open to relationships, and they're, listening, they're watching somebody in their life model 
and validate true Christianity. True Christianity. It's how you model Christianity. It's not just the osmosis factor. I'm going to go to the better education. I mean, kids in the secular school could be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We don't think so because of our our mindset. You know, we think we have to keep them around in our religious kind of training, but it doesn't automatically... Um, doesn't automatically produce Christians in those environments of osmosis. So the church is important. Sound theology is important, but there's a missing element of relationships uh, that love can only love can transform. Remember this, I was just thinking about when you talked about love, this is how important love is. When we're, when we're disciplining our children, we forget to tell them this is not an act of love. What you did was not loving. What you did to your sister or brother wasn't loving. Jesus thought that that's not loving and kind, what you did. That's a moral issue. That's an issue inside. Instead of breaking a rule, there was a moral issue that you're affecting the heart. And Tripp talks about this. Well, at least um, I think Perillo did the, trans, or the, what do you call it, transforming. Oh, maybe it was Tripp, about the heart, you know, shepherding the heart. And then Lou, Lou talked about the heart of anger and the same thing in that book. But I want to remind you um, about how powerful love is. I can't do a whole segment on that because it's, uh, it's, it's just amazing. But in order to set this up, I'd like for you to read, if you would, somebody open up and read Luke 14, 26, and 27, the time we have left. Yes, verse 26 and 27, Luke 14. Right. Now, that's a setup for the sacrifice we're going to talk about here in a second here. But what kind of love would you have for Christ that looks like hate to your family? I mean, that's the point. The devotion and the love of Christ is transforming. There's no way to, to explain it other than that. And anything less than that is, a, is a, really an uh, issue of self-love. Self-love is it's the enemy. And so uh, we're talking about love. Love has this power that's amazing. That's the greatest motive you can do. This is what, he was, what uh, Jane and Jeff are just talking about there is that instead of just loving them for the sake of just loving them, and then because they're loved sort of unconditionally, then all of a sudden people, when they're in a crisis, remember their love for them. And then they, they come to them, and that's an open door to now to evangelize instead of, Using the event and instead of using the gospel as a, as a magic trick. Here's some of the things I was talking about where love was huge and self. Wherever there's not love, there's usually self is the enemy. If you can see this in a clear way, you watch this. This is how it works. I'm going to give you the essence of these things, these, these common issues that we have in our relationships. Anger is the essence of self deity. Anger is the essence of self deity because uh, it's. He is God and we're not. So we're trying to get control of something as if what we're doing. And we didn't get it our way. It didn't happen on our time. And so we get angry as if we have some rights to these things. And we call it self-deity. If you understand, anger is not something imposed upon you. If Mark 7 is true, that everything defiles man comes from within. Anger is self-deity. Anxiety is self-love. 
Perfect love casts out all fear. Anxiety and worry is self-love. That means I'm more focused on my own person, me, how this is going to affect me, what, is it going to, what am I going to look like. And all anxiety is part, partly associated or mostly associated with self-love. How about depression? Self-focused, being self-focused, having all these expectations that are failed. All of a sudden, I, you know, I, I wanted this. I thought this was going to happen in life, and it didn't, it didn't happen to me. It's self-focused, all about you again, all about your world. Fears, self-preservation. Addictions, self-worship. Also, self-satisfaction. And pride, self-centeredness. Just notice that. All these people issues, all these horrible things that people spend millions of dollars on in the world, billions probably, medicating, all come from self. It's interesting, isn't it? Here's a third tension. We expect having relationships that don't require so much personal sacrifice. It's nice to have 14 kids, but at some point, you got 14 little sinners. <laughs> and then you want to you take them to the babysitter every chance you can or throw them under the youth pastor and let him sort it out, you know. But eventually you've got to deal with all that. You've got to develop those relationships. And some of those little sinners will get saved early. Some of those sinners get saved later. Some never put their faith in Christ. That's not the idea. The idea is, is there an open door of love and um, grace in that, in that process of that relationship? We, have, uh, we expect having relationships that don't require personal sacrifice. Any testimonies? Quick. Any comments about that? Yeah. struggle with that with the kids with work because I've always got work yeah. and so if you're done for the day I said well I'm done with what I'm going to do today but I still have work <laughs> yeah. but the kids will be like like Jackson last week was like would you please go shoot basketball with me whoa and just, what a moment and I said no and I thought man he's going to be gone one day and I wish I could so I went out and shot I mean you thought I'd have done the best thing in the world for yeah. him Amen. that's the struggle because I have to put my time away for them or for Heather or for whoever. Yeah, and for Jackson, that was a, that's a kingdom moment, an investment that you never get out of your own work uh, in your day-to-day job. You well, know? It's, it's hard for me because my dad, Will and I had this conversation the other day. Um, I'm always around because I work from home. Yeah. I said, my dad, good Christian man, he was bivocational, worked out of town, and I would see him at ball games and stuff and see him at night. But he would still take the time. I could still see him coming home with his uniform. He was an elevator technician. And he'd get out of the truck and throw baseball with us. Whoa. And so when I, when, you know, I tell Will, I said, it's, it's, I think he was a better father than I am for a lot of reasons. But I said, you have to invest that time, son, because I'm, I'm trying to get him to understand that. Yeah. And, and Jackson or Ava, would you come outside and just run around and do whatever? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is. You have to. And even with Heather, doing all the laundry for her. Yeah. Stuff just so she can have that. Yeah. And what's that your 
That came out of my pants. That's what worries me, you know. <laughs> Mark, Mark has his whole house surveilled. He's, he's, he's getting all wired up. Yeah. I mean, I was saying yes. That that was like an internal <laughs> clock. And I agree with you. That's like saying amen. Okay? I like it. I like it. Yes, sending the back. That's Fred. That's our friend Fred. I'm in trouble later. <laughs> When we first started counseling, good. I want to hear that first. I was just saying, I was just saying that when we were first started counseling, it was against the law to medicate psychotropically. You know, all these minors, minors. Now we had a kid at TCS where parents took the three-year-old in and they put her on Prozac. Prozac. Yeah. Three years old. Three years old. Yeah, pre-K. They're actually developing medication because they're identifying that these kids are bipolar. Ruining their brain growth and all that. Yeah. Last comment. That's very good. That's very good. I mean, you have to do that when you when it's a selfless kind of approach to to life. And I think I was going to do the illustration. I'll do it next week. But it's really the idea is how much it's developed in you gives us the ability to love others and to and be patient and persevere through that relationship problems. So we'll we'll continue this. Any final thoughts? Yes. Good thought at the end. Good thought. We'll, uh, we'll close in prayer. Father, again, thank you for 
my friends and our time together and talking about relationships teach us to be patient and persevering and to be open to taking time to love people as the project instead of just putting time as a check mark or doing things with our kids as a check mark, a things to do list. And may we have a, a real deep, genuine relationship. And we leave all the deeper spiritual issues. You can only be the one that saves. And we make these investments as a conduit of your love, a conduit. So help us with this understanding. May the paradigm shift of our thinking, may our worldview be affected. May we start today to start investing in our marriages and our relationships, valuing our relationships and our children and teaching them to love people um, as you loved us first. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. See you next week. Larry.